Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Ricky Nixon, welcome to the Careers and Mental Health Conversations podcast. How are you, Patrick? I'm well, I'm well. How are things down in Victoria? Uh, very warm at the moment, but um, some would say Melbourne's the hottest town in Australia anyway. <laughs> uh, Victorians do love their town and it's it's good to see. So, uh, yeah, but thank you for joining us. Um, you've had a very, very long and, and well, continued career in, in the sports and, and somewhat the, uh, the entertainment and management industries as well. But just for those of you who are not so familiar with, with AFL uh, and sports in general, um, Give us a little summary of, of your career to date and, and what it is you do and um, what you're known for. Well, well I started, um, I was recruited from Bendigo in central Victoria by Carlton Football Club because back in those days there was no drafting, it was zoning. And Bendigo was a very famous zone for, for Carlton. They picked up a lot of players. In fact, when I went to Carlton when I was 18, they won um, three premierships in four years and um, amazing club and the networks I built out of there helped me so much in, in, when I went into player management. I went from Carlton to St Kilda and then to um, Hawthorne, which is great to finish off at a club that was the most successful club uh, in the AFL in the modern generation. Just amazing. And um, I got an interesting phone call from the AFL earlier this year who said, um, oh, you've got some good and bad news for you. And I said, what's that? But the good news is we're putting you into the Hall of Fame. I went, wow, that's great. And they said, the bad news is it's because you've got the longest career for the least amount of games. <laughs> 11 years for 63 games. Only arguably beaten by Luke O'Sullivan that currently played 10 years for 62 games. But I had the extra year on him to play one more game. Well, well, at least you can say you're in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you don't have to tell people what it's for, right? No, correct. Exactly. I think it's overrated some of these legends, to be honest. <laughs> All right, so long, long career playing AFL. What have you been up to since your playing days have been finished? Uh, well, look, I um, spent the last seven or five or six years probably of, of seven sitting on my bum because, um, you know, in Australia, if you cop a media beating like I have, which most of it's just dribble, um, for some reason Australians love to kick the you-know-what out of here and then six or seven years later they get behind you and want to see you get back up again. So I've had to bide my time patiently, um, but... Uh, I always aimed that this year I'd be trying to do something that was back in the community and it's just fallen my way a lot on, or evolved I should say, um, started kicking for cancer which is basically we grant wishes to kids with cancer and some of the some of the things that have happened have been quite extraordinary and you know, I got a phone call from a, a guy who said his, his five-year-old daughter had brain cancer and she passed away a couple of days ago and he didn't have $300 for the funeral. Now, don't take this the wrong way, those who are watching and listening. But I said, mate, I just need to see your Facebook page if that's all right. And I went to his Facebook page and there he was holding his ba- dead baby in his hand or five-year-old daughter. And so we gave him two and a half grand to bury his uh, daughter. And that's the sort of things we're doing, um, taking kids to the footy, um, taking the MCG, meet their heroes, or, you know, to the to the opposite in Perth, you name it. So, um, and then also started this mobile health business, which we'll talk about a bit more. Uh, it's, that's amazing, those stories. It puts everything into perspective, doesn't it, when you, when you hear things like that um, and, and help, being able to help those families must be uh, uh, an amazing feeling and, and something you sort of enjoy, I guess, waking up to every day, knowing you can help um, families in need. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it brings a tear to your eye. And we talk about, you know, we bitch and whinge about our own lives, but when you hear about five-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old kids, 
um, you know, with brain cancer and things like that, you know, you don't realise what other people are going through. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, now, I, you've also been involved in a lot of player management for for, for decades now. So I, I assume that after you finished um, playing football, that was a pretty easy transition into to not sort of so much playing, but now taking care of players. Yeah, I must admit, I did leave something out when I just mentioned my <laughs> my career. Uh, player management, yeah, I was very lucky to um, you know be in the right spot at the right time. Some would say it was great ideas and marketing and entrepreneurship, but, you know, you've got to have a bit of luck. And, you know, I went to America and looked at uh, Michael Jordan, who was absolutely blessing the world with Nike at the time, and thought, wow, if we had someone like that in Australia, I came back to Australia and saw this kid, Wayne Carey, playing football, thought, hmm, he goes right. And we all know the rest is history, greatest player of all time. Not long after that, Gary Ablett Senior joined me, and, you know, goes on the famous Club 10 that I created, which had players of the year of... Um, Gavin Wanganine in it, Glenn Jackovich, who was playing Gary Hart's rival, um, uh, Gary Lyon from Melbourne at the time, Tony Lockett, of course, Jason Dunstall, the greatest goal kickers of all time, players like that. It was just extraordinary time in the 90s. I think a lot of people would sort of, you know, say that you really pioneered the the sports management in the AFL sector. Um, was that an exciting time to to be a player manager and and to be managing these these big names and helping them elevate their careers. Oh, absolutely! I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the adrenaline rush at the time. You know, I, I remember one week in one week alone, I had something like ninety players ring me wanting to sign with me, and it was just uh, I wasn't when I yes, I pioneered the industry in respect to um, making players money off the field, which you know I didn't really see as wow. If I do this, this will create this whole industry and everything. I never saw it coming. I'd be lying if I did. Um, but what I used to do is my, my dad made me a handball target, and we went to a shopping centre in Melbourne, and I got three players there, and I charged the shopping centre four hundred dollars, hundred to each player, and hundred to me to do a handball competition. Little did I know it was going to be the start of an absolute landslide. All of them went back to training. Told the boys at training, "Oh, Rick Nixon sent me a hundred bucks off the field." Now you'd go, "That's not much money," but back in nineteen ninety three, that was a lot of money, it's like a thousand bucks. So the players were ringing me, "Oh, I want to join you. I want you to manage me. I want you to manage me." So I wasn't the first player agent, but. I was the first one to take it, I guess, into this new era of marketing and uh, media and things like that. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And it's, it's something you're quite heavily involved in still today, right? Like I know you've run some courses, uh, teaching people about player management, but it's obviously something, you know, close close to your heart and something you really enjoy. Yeah, look, it's not. So I don't want to go back into player management and that's a bit to do with the way I was treated and, you know, it's right for, you know, Football leagues and associations all apologise to me now, saying they stuffed up. But as far as I'm concerned, the treatment that I received um, back in that period when they did some stupid decisions that affected my wife, my family, and everything else, I'll never forgive them for it. I'd rather just move on. So rather than say, "Oh, yeah, Ricky's negative about it," no, I'm just moving on. I've had my time in player management. My son now is probably going to go into it next year. Which is exciting. Um, I run a course which I really, really love doing, teaching people how to be an agent. Um, but I won't be going back into it. So, as I said, I've got this mobile health business which is booming as well. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it's a it's a good segue. It's a, it's actually one of the reasons I got in contact. Actually, I follow you on LinkedIn, and I've been noticing vital health checks uh, keep popping up. And uh, I reached out to you, and it's something I wanted to learn more about because it looks like a, a great initiative. Uh, I watched a little video that you've got that, that Channel 7 um, did with you and, and obviously it was sort of to, to help, you know, primarily men out but all people in terms of getting 
vital health checks, as it says. And I think the best part is uh, there's a little snippet in there. You said, well, you know, we're, we're lazy, but don't worry, we'll come to you. I mean, you know, if you've ever been in Melbourne, in the last week's been the worst traffic I've ever seen in my life. It's what would normally take 15 minutes to drive from one side of the CBD to the other is now a two-hour drive. Um, so people, my son went, had to get health checked this time last year to start a new job. And um, it took him an hour and a half to get from where he lived to the doctor that he was told he had to go and see. It took him an hour to see the doctor, another hour drive home, and plus the testing. It took all day. So that cost his employer a full day's pay where he could have come outside to our um, mobile health van or in the area in a business and we could have conducted it in 50 minutes and it would have all been done. And a whole day's pay, not wasted. So was that the actual initial inspiration? Was it the, the length of time it took your son to, to have, have this test? Uh, there was sort of like about four things that came together. I was actually going to um, start a medical centre right where I live in Bay Street, Port Melbourne, um, which uh, was going to cater for ex-AFL players and their injuries because you get now an allowance of up to $8,000 to fix injuries sustained while playing football. Uh, but they have to be more things like knees and ankles and things like that. They won't give money for psychological issues, mental health, etc. Um, but anyway, I was going to set that up. And um, yes, my son had this health check and I thought, gee, that's interesting. And then I spoke to a really good mate of mine, Jerry Ryan, one of the most successful businessmen in Australia. Then Melbourne Cup went down to Jacob Caravan. He has to make a caravan every 17 minutes just to cope with the orders. And Jerry um, was talking to me about his Tour de France team, which he owns. And um, I said, mate, uh, what if I got one of your camper vans and converted it into a mobile health studio and went out to businesses and pulled up out the front and you come out and get a health check? He goes, oh, mate, that's a brilliant idea. And that's where it started from. So we've converted some ambulances at the moment. But to be honest, 99% of um, health checks and skin checks that we're doing, well as mental health checks, they're all done inside the building, where we set up an area inside your workplace and conduct the, um, the, the health assessments there. Yeah, fantastic. What what sort of mental health checks do you um, do you offer people? We simply because what the business is, and to understand our business is all about early detection and prevention. So we've all got friends who have probably had cancer and didn't know for a long time, and it might have been too late. We've all had friends who get diabetes, etc., like that. So the, the testing we do for mental health is simply just a K ten test. It's a three minute question and answer test. It effectively indicates whether you may have some anxiety or depression issues. If you are, have we refer you back to your GP who would refer you on to a specialist. So it's early detection of these things so they don't get out of hand. I mean, I'm getting tired of reading about people saying, oh, I've had this problem for 30 years. Well, if you've had that problem for 30 years, why didn't you do something about it? And it's not being critical of them. It's because they've had a, um, I guess a fishing line thrown to them saying, hey, come this way. Um, so we're not about telling people how they should run their life. Our education programs, which start in February this year, are all about real-life experiences, so getting across to you what's worked for other people might work for you and giving you ideas on how to get a smile on your face and happiness. Yeah, that, that's incredible, Ricky. Um, now, you've, you've had this business going, I think I saw, on has, is maybe five, six months? Uh, no, we started um, on the 1st of October, so effectively it's been about two and a half months. Um, the first client we, we got on board was probably an amazing client. You probably couldn't wish for a better client, and that's Racing Victoria. So that was right before the, the Melbourne Cup and everything started. And what our job is to do is is to go out and conduct health checks at racetracks around Victoria for their staff. And um, 
one of the biggest um, things that's become very popular with, with their stuff and now a lot of other companies are dealing with the skin checks. I mean, how many people who are listening to this have had a skin check? There wouldn't be very many. In fact, 81% of people in Victoria haven't had a skin check. Um, and you can think back to the days of when we played cricket as young kids and that we never wore hats, we never wore sunscreen. Guess what? You might have that one little minuscule mark on your arm that could develop into a cancerous issue and could end your life a lot quicker than what you'd like. So I encourage everyone to get a skin check. Um, and what we're doing is going out to businesses and not only conducting a general health check and a mental health check, but also the skin checks as well if companies and employees want them. It's, it's so important. I think uh, up here in Queensland, I, I believe we might be the skin um, cancer capital of, of the world. Um, yeah, the, I think it makes sense. Yeah, and Western Australia as well. You know, um, you know, big big sunshine areas. We've got to be more careful. And um, so, so where do you want to take the business? You're, you're a few months old. You've you've probably had some early success, and and uh, it's a great initiative. Um, where where do you see things going? Well, look, the thing that, um, you know, I wouldn't be uh, hanging my hat on this, I suppose, but, you know, to one of the 10 of the first people we did on skin tests, one was a young 20-something-year-old who basically had a melanoma that if he hadn't had it um, operated on immediately, he could have been with us in 18 months' time. Now, his mum rang me crying saying, oh, Ricky, you've saved his life. I said, well, with the greatest respect, appreciate your call, but I haven't saved his life. You're, his employers, because if they hadn't conducted these health checks, he could have been dead in two years' time. So, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely vital in the environment we now live in and things that, you know, you get these health checks for, you know, for the sake of a price of which, are, you know, $195, um, that's just one big weekend out sometimes for young people. Um, but it could save their lives, simple as that. And where I want to take it next year is not only obvious, we've got some big contracts on the table and they right there in Tasmania through to Queensland, et cetera, um, but also getting out to remote areas. Um, we're building a big case to you know, look at um, Indigenous health and also for emergency services, people, police, ambulance, fire brigade, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, we've got a big year coming up and education programs will you know, that started from a little bit from nothing when I had a construction company in South Australia say, so, Ricky, would you mind speaking to 300 apprentices we've got across South Australia about not only their health, but you, you've managed all the best young footballers in Australia, and or some of them, majority of them, and to be successful in life. If you could do that with our apprentices, that'd be great. Now, I never thought of doing something like that. I thought, that's a great idea. You know, talk to young men and women about how to build their lives a bit, you know, and what's what's important as they go along. And um, sometimes I think this is lacking from our education system. Oh, 100%. So, and and I, I think more people with profiles and, and personalities actually need to get out and, and talk to, to apprentices like you're doing because sometimes, you know, these, these young males and females We'll listen to experts and sometimes it's in one ear and out the other and we've all got information overload. But when it's someone of influence, when it's someone they look up to and respect or they've heard about or want to know more about, it seems to resonate. Uh, and I know I've been to some events up here where we've, we've had some origin stars talk about um, mental health and a surfing world champion and uh, an event with Blackopedia. And th- this place was packed and you could hear a pin drop because the, the guy, everyone was just listening with intent, and um, I think that's sometimes how how it needs to be delivered, just to get the message through. 
Well, I know I was talking to some young guys, you know, only six or seven of them, a similar story, they were apprentices, and explaining how Matthew Richardson, who's probably Richmond's most popular player, when he first started playing, he rang me saying, I'm never going to make it here, Richmond. I can't, I can't kick, I can't mark it, I shouldn't kick a goal. And I said, yeah, but mate, what? You wouldn't have, Richmond wouldn't have asked you to come here unless you were good at something. He goes, all I'm good at is running. And I said, well, become the best runner in the AFL. And he did. And by becoming the best athlete on the ground, he got the football a lot more than anybody else. He could run a lot better. So what I was saying to these apprentices is you've all got something. You've got some talent. It's hidden away there. Sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it's not. But when you're in school, you are good at something. You might not have been good at English or maths, but you might have been good at sport. Or you might have been good at art. Or you might have been good at just being a good kid. Um, you could use that to develop your life. So along with expanding vital health checks and, and sort of getting the message out there more nationally, so you're looking to do more speaking as well or more sort of engagement with businesses in relation to these topics? Yeah, look, it's, it's gone from uh, my, my last seven or eight years of being pretty full on every week with anywhere from one to five speaking gigs. And they, they started off as um, you know, probably people wanting me to talk about, I guess, um, footy stuff and footy stories and funny stuff. It's now evolved more into people want to hear about um, sort of how did I come back through given what I was put through by the media, Australian media, and, you know, what, what my life was in turmoil. And don't get me wrong, I'll start off with stand up in the room if you've never made a mistake. I made a big one. And I let my wife and kids down, and I'm not in denial. But, you know, you've got to own up to your mistakes. You've got to also move on because a lot of people in this world are very miserable because their lives aren't happy. And they like to focus on people like myself and like to bring you down. But I don't care about yesterday. I get on with tomorrow every day. Couldn't agree more. Like it's, you know. If I could just throw something in, Patty, yeah. It's, um, about uh, eight, no, eight weeks ago, I ended up in hospital because I actually, one of my best friends, and I know you're a Saints man, uh, Danny Frawley suicided or passed away. And um, look, it was a massive shock to us. Um, and I actually had two other friends in the same week suicide. Now, I have never had anyone suicide. But to have three of your best friends in one week suicide totally flipped me out. I ended up in hospital after being silly and drinking three bottles of red wine in 15 minutes to try and make the pain go away, that I should have done more to help them. Only to be um, advised by a good high-profile media person that, Rick, you know, at the end of the day, if you'd stopped someone from crashing into a tree, they probably would have crashed into one the next day. So you can't blame yourself. What you can do is just try and work more with people, I suppose, and help them to be happy. And that's what I'm trying to focus on. I don't bring up the words suicide and negativity. The fact that people are going out to schools and talking to year four, grade four kids, about mental health and suicide, it just applauds me. I just hate it. We should be talking about happiness, smiling, loving life, getting out, get out of the house. When we were kids, um, we, our parents couldn't just to come inside because we'd be out playing free in the street. We'd be kicking the ball. We'd be playing cricket. We'd be doing tennis in bowling. We'd be playing tennis down at the park. Now we can't get our kids to go outside. Because they're hooked on phones, they're hooked on TVs, they're hooked on computers, you know, Xbox games, you name it. Um, the life of our current kids is very different to our lives. Now, you can't say click our fingers and change things back, but we've especially got to start to develop strategies to get people off the sofa and back out in the world. Oh, I, I've got three young kids and I, I know we talked about this um, before we started recording the podcast on a, on the phone and I, I was sort of... Um, I was in agreement that I, I don't think we should be bringing these topics, heavy, heavy topics up too early in age. Now, 
there's an age when you obviously need to educate your kids and and suicide unfortunately is the leading cause of death for males between 15 and 44 but I agree with you in that kids, you know, in the early years, the, the primary years, it needs to be about positivity. It needs to be about fun, being active, getting outdoors. And I don't know how we combat the the addiction to phones and unfortunately social media plays a big part in, in sort of how, how kids feel and how they get addicted. But uh, I think we're in agreement there that there needs to be some strategy to get, to get more outside because that's all we did growing up um, and it was – very fond memories and I wonder sometimes if some of these kids will look back and think, oh, I just spent it all inside playing games, talking to each other through a phone. Like it's it's not the way forward. But An interesting lesson that I've learned of recent times and, and I'll put this out to everyone who's listening is when I was in hospital that I explained before, I got out and I, I'd been walking most mornings but not running or anything like that because I'd tried to run a few years ago and just went, ah, oh, you know what, it's just too hard once you've lost all your fitness after 20 years. Now, I was a little athletics champion, so I should have something in there. Anyway, I started to run. I ran the first day, I ran 400 metres, and that evolved into about, about one and a half kilometres now that I run. But then after about two weeks of running, I decided, a memory came back in my head of my childhood that I used to run every night and I used to sprint the last 200 metres home. So I started to sprint the last 200 metres. The change in my brain, and it's not rocket science, doctors will tell you, if you get endorphins happening in your brain, excitement genes, et cetera, et cetera, from exercising and getting your heart rate up, it's amazing how your health can change. Well, my brain is as good as it's been for 15 years or back to 15 years ago when I was absolutely flying. And then I started to think, hang on a minute, when I was an 11-year-old kid in Bendigo, I used to get up at 4.30 a.m. every day. I used to go ride my bike into the city and I used to do a paper round. Between 11 and 17 are your most um, development maturation years where you develop as a person. I'm starting to think I wonder if what I've done is go back, get my brain thinking I'm back in Bendigo when I was 11 again because my brain's happy. It's getting up at 5 a.m. every morning. It's exercising. It's doing what it did in those years. And I reckon everyone I've spoken to, including psychologists, have said, Ricky, I think you're onto something here. If you can bring your childhood happiness back into your brain, you're going to function a lot better. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, And the exercise is so, so important. Uh, along with sleep, I think sleep... 100%, mate. You've hit something on the head. Sleep deprivation is the other one I've worked on. So I... I don't watch TV contrary to what probably probably people think, oh, that's rubbish, I bet you do. I don't. I watch five minutes of the news and that's about it. I'm going to bed at 9 o'clock every night, not at 11 or 12 or 1, 9 o'clock. But the trouble is I'm waking up at sort of 4 a.m. because I know if I, if I sleep in, even for one hour, I feel like crap all day because I've overslept. And my partner and I have this discussion all the time. When she sleeps a lot, she's grumpy as anything in the morning and it's got to have something to do with you've overslept in my view. Brilliant. And obviously it's important to bring back those childhood memories. And if exercise does that for you, then obviously that's that's resonating and, and it's um you're feeling better, obviously. You're you're feeling on top of things, you're you're doing well with business. So you sort of attribute that to, to sort of then succeeding in, in business and, and getting things done. I do. And look, my great my grandmother, who's no longer with us, but back when I was in a bit of trouble, she she's famously said these three things and I pass it on to everybody who's going through a difficult period. Get up in the morning, get up early. Force yourself for the first three days. It's not easy to do, but the hardest thing when you're suffering any mental health issues is to get out of bed. Get out of bed, go into the bathroom and smile in the mirror. And I said, why would I do that? And she goes, Ricky, you used to be the happiest-go-luckiest kid I've ever seen, and, and now you're not. You're sad. 
smile in the mirror and it creates excitement genes in your head and your day will be off to a good start. I went, hmm, that makes sense. And then she said, the other thing to do is I want you to go for a walk or run every morning and I want you to listen to that cold stuff. I said, cold stuff? She goes, yeah, cold stuff. I said, cold chisels? She goes, yeah, listen to them. And that's what she done. And she, she'd sp- and straight away in my head, and you're laughing now and I'm laughing, is it creates, ex- listen to music that you love in the mornings and your day, you'll be up and about. Get that real beaty music, that, you know, bang, 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 that, that stuff that gets you going. And then she said, yeah. and this is a very famous quote that's been handed down our family for years, my great, great, great grandfather fought off six butcher raiders with guns one day and said, never let the bastards beat you. And that's been handed down in our family, never let the bastards beat you. What she meant to me was don't let the bastards in your head beat you. They're just trying to get – they just want to win. Don't let them win. Anyway, ever since I've used that, those three um, lines that she gave me, um, things have changed dramatically, and I hope that helps some other people. And sometimes, you know, it's just a simple delivery of advice like that that, that that works. But, yeah, the exercise, the music that you love, getting sleep, it's just so, so important to, to your well-being. And then it's amazing what happens when you actually get up and you want to face the day and you want to tackle stuff and, and get stuff done. Um, yeah, it's incredible. I just leave you with one more thing that I talk about every weekend and has a massive impact out in business and clubs. And that was when I was really in a bad way and, I, and the doctor said, you pretty much, unless you go to rehab, you're going to be in big trouble. Um, when I decided to go there, I went around to see my wife and my son, Mitch, who was 15 at the time. He sent me an email saying, I've lost my dad, I've lost my footy coach, my heart is broken. And I was shattered. And I said to him, he hadn't spoken for like eight months. His kid's going to school every day and people are saying, what's your dad done and everything else. And I said to him, Mitch, is there anything I can do for you? And he wouldn't answer. And my wife, she said, it's okay, Rick, we'll support you through uh, rehab. And I said, no, please, Mitch, is there anything I can do for you? And he still didn't answer. And then uh, all of a sudden he put his head up. He said the following words, which will stick with me for the rest of my life. And he said, yep, I just want my dad back. I just want my dad back. So all I'll leave you with is this message is it's not always about you. You're just at the top of the pyramid. You might have a problem. You might have made a mistake. But underneath you is your family, your friends, your workmates, you name it, your kids, whatever. You remember it's not about you. It's about the pyramid. And I'll leave you with that. Just makes you think that there's there's so many people connected to you that that need you that that sort of want you know want you to be their to be their rock and and you, you, sometimes you don't think that you know. Yeah, you know, it takes unfortunate circumstances to realise how much you mean to someone else. I guess so. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, you touched on a dear friend, Danny Frawley. Um, I don't want to dwell on this because I know he's a really close mate, and and it's um, yeah, it's been a tough year. Um, D- Danny was such a big advocate for talking about mental health, and I think he should be uh, remembered as a real champion for trying to connect men and, and, and sports people to understanding mental health. I, I used to listen to him a fair bit on, on radio or, or TV and he was just so open about getting support and, and you know, reaching out and um, I, I think he should be seen as a real ambassador and just remembered in such a positive way. I know he already is, but just trying to get the message out and, um, you know, he's been on the Pucker Up um, podcast uh, with Schwatter and um, it was just so positive for me, like a sort of mid-aged male, to hear him talk about the, the struggles but how he was sort of working through them? Oh, look, I, you know, I think what Danny's done all his life was amazing, but um, tragically at the end, um, the deterioration had been happening for a, a long period of time, not for two weeks. And I know people only see 
what happened at the end. But the lead up to that, in my view, and it's just my opinion, uh, it had a lot to do with concussion when he played football. Um, he was knocked out at the MCG one day. And if you get knocked, just to let people know, if you get knocked out cold for more than one minute, the research shows that when you get to about 50, your brain starts to deteriorate. Now, Danny was knocked out for four minutes one day at the MCG. And not only that, went off the ground but came back on. Now, the damage that might have been done that day, we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. But he was knocked out seven more times after that. Because once you get knocked out badly once, it only takes a slight knock to the head and you get knocked out again. We only know that now. We didn't know that 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, I think it's just unfortunate that, that this has contributed to, to Danny and what happened. And, you know, I hope that we find an answer to this for people in the future because this concussion in sport is uh, not something that we want to see kids going through, that's for sure. No, and, and it's been taken more seriously now, but back in the days when you played and, and other players played and you were sort of seen as soft if you didn't go back on. That's and, right, um, yeah. Good there was, point. Good there was point. never any talk of having the next week off, which I know is pretty much mandatory now after serious concussion. Well, back when Danny, Danny was captain of St Kilda at the time, and, you know, I remember him, him basically saying, no, I'm going back on the ground. And people were trying to stop him going back on the ground. No, I'm captain, I'm going back on the ground. And, you know, in those days, you let people, you go, okay, go back, not knowing what the what was going to happen. And, you know, unfortunately, um, we are we may be seeing one of the first real bad results of all this concussion situation. Yeah, it's almost like putting the club before your well-being really, isn't it? You know, wearing the, the logo with pride and, and doing whatever you can to help out your teammates, which is re- really a footy ethos at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mental health in sports is massive at the moment. Uh, NRL, you've got stars like Greg Inglis in the cricket. Um, Glenn Maxwell has recently come out, uh, taken a break, as has Nick Madison. Uh, AFL, Tom Boyd, Dane Beams, the list goes on. Um, what do, you, do you think the AFL is, is doing enough? I know it's a high priority at the moment. Gil McLaughlin has come out and said that it's – uh, one of the number one issues facing the game, which is a really big statement. Uh, I, I, I know this might people say I'm being alarmist, but I can see the game not actually being with us anymore in 20 years' time because if things unfold in courts on concussion, it's proven that junior footballers, um, if they get knocked out, could actually suffer mentally for many years to come. Then sport could be a collision sport could be at a rapid end within 20 years i can see it coming wow um we know in uh the nfl in america there's humongous lawsuits and been payouts in in relation to concussions that have led on to all sorts of physical and mental injuries do you think the afl could be headed down that sort of path? Uh, absolutely look it's, it's going to go to court um it's just it's not a matter of um uh, whether it will, it's just when and what time. And, you know, I've got several ex-clients, John Barnes, Greg Williams, who I just went to see at Carlton Footy Club. And we're talking about one of the greatest players of all time, two-time Brownlow medalist, premiership player, best mate with me, grew up in Bendigo. I mean, the guy can't remember what yesterday was about, you know. He's, his memory is shot. And not to remember games he played and everything else. And, you know, he got knocked out, I think, 10 times. Don't quote me on the exact number. Um, but we don't know. He doesn't know. We don't know because he can't remember what happened. So he can't tell. When it goes to court, the judge is going to say, well, Mr. Player, tell me what happened. And the player's going to go, well, I don't know. I can't remember. And then he's going to say, Mr. AFL, tell me, did you tell Mr. Williams, do you care that this could happen to him? Uh, no, we didn't because we didn't know. 
okay, has anybody got any information on any of this? And the thing is, is we haven't got any information on this. So this is what needs to be built in the next five to ten years. And that's what we're doing as part of this health business is on building information on past players and their health and how their health has deteriorated over periods of time due to concussion. Yeah, it, it's so you, you just think it's tip of the iceberg at the moment. You think things are really going to unfold. Yep. Yeah. Um, look at uh, young Paddy McCartan, you know, number one draft pick and world at his feet and, you know, I think he might have had six to eight concussions in the space of four or five years. Yeah, he's a, he's a good case of he, he had a bad knockout and then after that he was just getting slight knocks to the head. That was knocking him out. Um, and I think that's the bit that I don't know what the answer is, but someone who's knocked out and like out cold, you're effectively there to keep your heart beating for you know one or two minutes. That is the problem once that after they get that concussion, if they get a slight knock, they might just go around the corner quickly, um, you know, in a car and hit the head on the side of the door or something. Is it, it, it causes massive damage? So yeah, oh, incredibly. Um, uh, as diehard a Saints fan as I am, I hope he never returns because I think he's got a young, he's got his life ahead of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I can't see him returning at all. And if he did, I think there would be massive problems if they allowed him to fly up at all. Do you think, concussion aside, like in terms of players, uh, you know, now coming out and, and speaking about feeling unwell and needing time away, and I think Travis Cloak did, you know, in his final years at, at the Bulldogs. Do you think there's too much pressure from the media and social media? Do you think that maybe contributes to the way uh, players these days can can handle the pressure of being a, a sports star? Absolutely. I, although I do, I did see a change in the last probably six months. I think athletes, myself included, have got a lot more used to haters and you know the destruction they cause. I mean, to me now, they're nothing. People, they're just you know, I'm used to it, and I know the sort of people that they are. I know what they're going through now. I now understand they're not happy with their lives, so their happiness comes from taking it out on someone like myself and lots and lots of other people. Um, so it's just best to ignore them, etc. And, and you know, uh, it was interesting. Ben Brown, the North Melbourne full forward, is a young star coming up in the competition. He spoke with me a couple of months ago, and he was asked this question, and he said, well, look, I only read or worry about comments that are from people that I care about or want to hear from people who can contribute to my life. I don't take any notice of people who just want to slag me off or North Melbourne or anything like that. And I thought that was an interesting comment for sure. So I think we're being educated better. The younger players have got you. I, I noticed younger players now, just, they're not engaging in conversations anymore with people on social media. They just they just post something about themselves or something or their mates and then that's it. They just they don't even go back to it. Yeah, I, you, you, it makes you think, and probably rightfully so, that their media managers are basically just just don't bite at the trolls. You know, they'll go away. If, so, sort of, if you don't fuel them, they tend to tend to disappear. I know you like to engage with people on Twitter. Mostly, it's all in good fun and you know having a laugh about the yeah. footy or something else. But um, you know, the, the players are a bit younger, obviously, and they can take things to heart, and they haven't had that life experience. So you, you just wonder if it has sort of got to some at some stages. Um, I feel for the ones that are injured, you know, and, and they're getting sort of trolled for not being out there, being able to help their team or being soft and, you know, an injury is an injury just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's it's not there. Yeah, absolutely. 
Where do you see all, all, everything going there with social media? Do you think one day maybe sports stars just won't have accounts and they'll just sort of be run through a one main account or do you think they'll just con- continue to keep keep it but not engage? The next the next election we won on the government or the sorry the party that comes out and says we're going to legislate that to have a social media account in this country you have to have ID attached to it. And if you can't provide ID, then you can't have a social media account. Then if you hate on someone, particularly threaten to kill them or their kids and you know, some of the horrible things we see, you get suspended, you do it again and you're banned for life on social media, simple as that. And until that happens, we're just going to have these absolute tools that set up fake accounts. You know, they're fake people even when they're not fake. You know, they just say whatever, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to come in the house and bash you, I'm going to kill your four-year-old kid. You know, the, the sort of comments I've seen, you know, sent to sports stars of late, they're just ridiculous. Oh, there was that one in the news about someone trolling Dane Beams about his father. I mean, how low can you, can you get? Well, that one is was a good example. Is it? Yeah, he he was trolling Dane Beams, and the picture of that person looked to me like about a twenty five year old. It turned out to be a fourteen year old kid. Oh right. Now everyone backflipped from everyone had a big crack at Dane Beams. Sorry, had a big crack at this guy thinking he was saying the bad thing about Dane Beams. When they found out he was 14, everyone had a crack at Dane Beams that he shouldn't have had a crack at this 14-year-old kid. Well, how was Dane Beams to know it was a 14-year-old kid? Because he had a picture of his grandfather or something as his profile pic. Well, it's gone mad. Yeah, and there's no, there's, got, there's no end to social media. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. So there needs to be more in That's place, right. like you said. So... Um, well, look on onto a slightly different topic. What what's next for you, Ricky? Like twenty twenty is going to be a big year by sounds of it. Kicking for cancer, vital health checks, um, courses on talent management. Yeah, what's what's on the horizon? What what can we look forward to? Um, well, look, I'm really excited about the next kicking for cancer game that's going to be played in Shepparton on Saturday night, the fourteenth of March. Because um, unfortunately, this year when I thought of the idea, it was Close to the start of the footy season, there was only one oval that could accommodate what our needs. Um, that was in the middle of school holidays in July in the freezing cold on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, which are all the boxes we don't want to tick. So now I'm ticking all the ones we want to tick. Uh, there's no AFL games on because it's a week before the AFL starts. It's in the country because I think it's important that we not just focus on city kids, it's about country kids as well with yep. cancer. Um, it's in an area that's very, very um, much get around and support their footy teams, which is up around the Shepparton area in Victoria. And um, all this is about granting wishes to kids with cancer um, and putting a bit of a smile on their face, but also putting a smile on their family's faces who are going through hell as well. And you know, some of these stories are not great. So, yeah, that, that's the big part of early 2020. Um, and then as we progress through the year, the health business um, will hopefully be expanding that into a number of states. That's Brilliant. Mate, it must feel good to wake up and have all these good things that you're doing because, like, at the moment, the things you're doing have really positive impacts on, on people's lives. Yeah, look, I must admit it does make you, um, you know, there's a young kid, Jack Tider. He actually just flew out of Brisbane yesterday to head to the UK for Christmas. Jack's nine years old. He's got brain cancer and um, he's mad Hawthorne. And uh, I rang the Hawthorne Footy Club who we were playing in Brisbane this year and asked if they would, um, be able to give us some tickets to the gra- um, into the rooms. They were absolutely amazing, and this just shows what the Hawthorne Footy Club is all about. But he's family into the rooms. He ran out through the banner with them. They got photos on the ground with him into the into the rooms after the game. Now, 
the attitude now of Jack since that day, which was the greatest day of his life, he's so positive and his test results have been absolutely outstanding. Going, he's in remission a bit now, um, all those sort of things. And, I, and attitude is, is the biggest thing when it comes to illness or health issues is, yes, you can't stop sometimes something like a heart attack, but your attitude a lot can can certainly sway the recovery period, that's for sure. Yeah, have a, having a positive outlook and have that positive impact come yeah. back at you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so, mate, yeah, full steam ahead then. I, I know you don't do anything in halves. Sounds like it's going to be uh, full, full on 12 months. And Well, one thing I do have to do is fix my shoulder. I've dislocated it seven times in, in the last two years, so um, <laughs> there's not all positive to me. I, I, I want to get out and play footy, but I can't because I'm going to dislocate my shoulder. My two sons are like, Dad, stop trying to do things you can't do or you can't physically do. <laughs> so my head wants me to do things, but my uh, physical status doesn't allow me at the moment. <laughs> Maybe stick to the running. For <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's it. I'll stick to the running. I'll make a comeback in the Tokyo Olympics. <laughs> oh, it's great to hear, mate. It sounds like you've got a, a lot of good support around you at the moment too because obviously, you know, there are days where we all feel a bit down, but we try and keep us positive. But I assume you've got a good support network and you've got heaps of good things going on. Oh, look, I have, and my partner, Melissa, is absolutely amazing, and Jude, my ex-wife, who I spoke to this morning, the two of them get on great, and I think that's important in life too. You know, the last thing you need is people in your life who are fighting each other or against each other, and we're all in this together, and Jude, my ex-wife, everyone says Wayne Carey's the greatest footballer of all time, but Jude's the greatest human being I've ever met. She never once asked me why I did wrong or why I did or what she did. She said, Ricky, you're stuffed up. Do something about it. Everybody stuffs up. And, you know, everybody listening to this podcast is stuffed up at some stage. I'm not the only person in Australia. It's about what you do about it that counts for your kids and everything else. And, you know, my son Mitch has not only completed his, his commerce degree this year, he's, he's got a great job, but he, he's also CEO of the Kicking for Cancer. And my other son, Lewis, my oldest son, he's just got put up in the management in the business he's in. So we've had a pretty successful last few months. So we've got to keep the ball rolling in 2020. Keep it all looking forward, mate. Sounds sounds good. Well, um, I want to thank you for your time, Ricky. It's been a really insightful podcast. I, I think that just talking about mental well-being, the, the new businesses are coming on board, like Vital Health Checks and the impact they can have. It's, it's great to share that. Uh, I love talking about mental health in sports and where it's going and, and your insights have been amazing there. So um, just for anyone who wants to get in contact about Vital Health Checks, where, where should they go? Have you got a website or a contact details in relation to that? Well, we're actually just getting a, a great new big technology company building a new website for it, but that will be up probably just after Christmas, but that's Vital Health Checks. But if you anyone wants to contact me, they can contact me at uh, ricky at vitalhealthchecks.com.au. So that's ricky at vitalhealthchecks.com.au. Um, yeah, I can send you any information on our, on our health check. We can conduct them anywhere in Australia. Um and that includes Tasmania, which apparently is part of Australia. Um, but, uh, yeah, looking forward to a big exciting in 2020. <laughs> uh, fantastic. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well for anyone looking to, to get in contact. So, mate, uh, thank you so much for joining the, the podcast. It's been great insights. I've loved uh, hearing, hearing you know, your story and, and, more importantly, hearing about what you're up to. And it sounds very positive and that's good to hear. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, mate. And good luck with everything. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.